Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I can't tell you the number of times this past year that uh, someone has asked me, how are you doing? Uh, That's a typical southern way of saying hello, right? We're not typically interested in finding out exactly how someone's doing. We're, We're interested in saying hi. And I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked that question, and my response has been, I'm busy. Any of you know the feeling? Any of you answered that way? I'm just, I'm just busy. I've got a lot going on in my life. As I got to thinking about this particular sermon for this particular weekend of worship here at Wilkesboro Baptist Church, I got to thinking about the issue of busyness and, and overwork and stress and all of the things that come along with being exhausted. What we find, and I've been working through at our church, we've been working through the book of Hebrews, chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews. We're not going to read all of it. We're going to unpack that a couple of weeks from now in a, in a Sunday sermon. But in chapters 3 and 4, there's this theme of rest. The people of God had been wandering through the wilderness, and they had an opportunity to enter this place of repose, the promised land that God had given to them. And they rejected it. They disobeyed. They, they didn't do what they needed to do in order to receive God's gift of rest in their lives. And I, I think that's fitting for us today because I find so many people, so many people uh, in and around our world and in our culture that are so tired. Some people are tired because flat out they're workaholics. Some of you know people like that. God bless you if you're married to one of those. And they can't stop and they, they're always stressed. They're always exhausted. They're always overworked. Some people are tired not because they're workaholics, but because they're emotionally distraught. They carry with them a level of anxiety and uncertainty and fear that not only when they work, it's there, but when they're home, it's there. And wherever they are, they're just always kind of on edge. Some people are tired because they're doing the hardest thing they've ever done in life. They're a caregiver. In fact, I was talking to one of our church members uh, this week and talking to some others in recent weeks. They're, They're caring for a spouse who's dealing with significant physical health challenges or uh, the issues of dementia and Alzheimer's. And some of those folks that have become caregivers have said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because it's constant. And in their case, in many of their cases, it's repetitive. And so what happens? There's a level of tiredness and exhaustion that comes with doing all that sort of work. I want to tell you, there's some good news. The good news is that God sent Jesus at Christmas to provide a measure of rest in our circumstances and our situations. Now ultimately, God doesn't always promise to step into our physical exhaustion and just make us feel better. He doesn't promise to step into our emotional exhaustion and take away those problems or take away our challenges of work. But what he does promise is he promises to intervene in our situation and provide us the rest that we really do need. Because when it comes down to it, the type of rest you and I long for from the daily pressures of life or from the emotional pressures or from the circumstantial pressures they all speak to the real need of the human heart, which is the need for a right relationship with God. 
See, Jesus came, and if you take notes, we've provided a worship guide that gives you some notes. If you take notes and feel like you've got to complete them, I'll give you the answers to what's in the, in the worship guide. But Jesus came, ultimately, and he completed his work on the cross so that we wouldn't have to engage in futile work in our own, in our own lives. What do I mean by that? In Hebrews chapter 1, the text tells us, the last part of verse 3, it says, after making purification for sins, he, that is Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus completed a task after making purification for sins. We, we think about Christmas being that, that moment when, uh, when Jesus entered the world, right? When Mary gave birth to him. And we think about those, those beautiful memories. We saw some of those on film behind Vicky singing that beautiful song. But ultimately, the purpose for which Jesus came is not to be remembered as a baby in a manger. It's not to be celebrated by shepherds. He didn't come to be worshipped by wise men. Jesus came because he had a more important purpose than just being a baby that was celebrated. He came to die on a cross for our sins. And the text tells us that after he made purification for our sins, after he completed his work of atonement on the cross, of crucifixion, suffering on behalf of your sins and my sins, after he did that, he went to heaven to be with his Father and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Sitting down is an act of, of noted completion. In other words, kings and leaders and people that were important in the ancient world did not sit down until their work was finished. So what did Jesus do? He completed his work. His work of dying on the cross so that we would not have to engage in futile labors. What do I mean by that? I mean, so we wouldn't have to work to do what we can't do. See, many of you have places of employment. You're going to go back to those places of employment sometime next week or the week after. You're going to continue to earn your paycheck. You're going to make sure you provide for your family. Amen. Thank God for your hard-working lives. The problem, though, in our Christian life is if we think that we can work our way into God's favor, we're sadly mistaken. Christmas has these themes that we've sung about and talked about, some of the ways we think about Santa Claus. If we, if we think about Santa Claus, he tells us that we're not to be naughty, we're to be nice, because if we're naughty, we won't get the gifts that we think we deserve, that sort of mindset. When that kind of idea permeates Christianity, that is a problem because here's the reality. None of us would ever make God's nice list. And too often, here's what happens. Christians think, or non-believers think, oh, I, I, what I've got to do is I've got to work my way into making God like me. I've got to do enough good stuff so that God will look down and he will see that the good deeds on one hand outweigh the bad deeds on the other hand, and he will accept me into his heaven. And that mindset permeates American Christianity, permeates worldwide religion. I've got to work my way into God's favor. The problem with that, folks, is that's futile. You can never work enough, work well enough, work hard enough, work deep enough, work powerful enough, work good enough in order to make God happy with you. It's just not possible. God's expectation of us is perfection. And maybe you say, well, I'll do better. 
Maybe you're here today. You're here with a family member, a friend. You're here and you're saying, I will do better. In 2023, I've already started my New Year's resolutions and I'll do better. I'll be nicer. I'll treat people like, like they should be treated rather than like I want to treat want to treat them I'll say nicer things I'll hold my tongue I'll change my attitudes even if that were the case even if you could from this day forward change your life and be good or be good enough what are you going to do about all those things that you've done up until now that's not good enough see what Jesus did when he came to die on the cross for our sins is he came to do what we couldn't do You and I can't be good enough to earn God's favor. You and I can't be good enough to make God love us or like us just because of who we are. The only way that we can be forgiven of our sins is to trust in the completed work of Christ on the cross. He finished his work so that we could have rest from the futile labor of trying to work ourselves into God's favor. Not only that, Jesus continues to work. He continues to work in order that we can have the benefit of rest and relationship. Now, at one level, Jesus' work is completed. His work on the cross, his atoning work. But the book of Hebrews goes on in chapter 7, verse 25, and it tells us that Jesus is a high priest, and he continues to intercede for us. Meaning that there's a part of Jesus' ongoing work that continues. He doesn't have to die on the cross again. He doesn't have to atone for our sins again. But he is, his sacrificial work is done. That's in the past. His high priestly work continues. Here's what that means. Forever, always, Jesus the Son is standing between us and God the Father. And he is interceding on our behalf. He is standing in between perfection and imperfection. Letting God know, the Father know, that that one that's imperfect. When you blew it earlier today, when you yelled at that family member, when you got frustrated at that situation, when you thought that thought you shouldn't have thought, when you did that thing you shouldn't have done, if you're a follower of Jesus in a relationship with God, Jesus' ongoing work as high priest means that he is continuing to intercede on your behalf and on my behalf in order that we might have a right relationship with God. Meaning that the base for our relationship with God is not our good works. Let me encourage you, Christian. Don't walk out of here tonight thinking that you've just got to be better in 2023. Don't think that. Think that Christ has already been good enough for me in 2022 and 2023 and however many more years you get. Jesus has already done the work and he is continuing to do the work. What he invites us to do is to enter into rest and relationship with himself. Because of his completed work on the cross and his continuing work by serving as our high priest, standing between us and God, offering us rest. How do we access that rest? How in the world do you walk out of here experiencing the rest that God wants you to experience? You believe in him. We're to believe so that we can experience the gift of God. And that gift that I'm talking about tonight is the gift of rest through Jesus Christ. The people of Israel in the Old Testament had an opportunity to do this. I'll unpack this on January 8th if you want to come back and listen to a full sermon on Hebrews 3 and 4. But the people of Israel had an opportunity to experience rest. 
They had been rescued from Egypt. They had an opportunity to enter into the promised land. And that rest carried with the idea of a completed work, meaning they no longer had to wander and run away from their troubles anymore, but they could enter into the promised land. They didn't do it. They didn't believe. They disobeyed, and so they didn't get the privilege of entering rest. In chapter 4, the the writer tells us that the entry point to rest in, in God is believing in Jesus Christ. The way you get to experience God's rest is by trusting in Jesus alone to be your Savior. In just a few moments, a few minutes, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, And this uh, little set of elements has a a wafer at the top, some bread, and has some juice. And this harkens back to when Jesus invited his followers up to an upper room and they celebrated what was an Old Testament Passover and Jesus reinstituted it as a new covenant. In the Old Testament, what took place is the people of Israel were in Egypt and God rescued them that night. He gave them what they called the Passover. A death angel passed over Egypt and didn't destroy the people of Israel because the people of Israel killed a lamb and they sacrificed that. And so because they sacrificed a lamb... God passed over them and gave them rescue. That night, when the Passover took place, they had obeyed God through a sacrificial offering. And so what took place, what Jesus reinstituted, was he was celebrating that Passover meal with his people, with his followers. And he took them up to the upper room and he said, take this bread, for this bread doesn't represent an old redemption anymore it doesn't represent an old passover it represents something new it represents my body which was shed for you which was broken for you it represents my blood which was shed for you it's a picture it's an invitation into a relationship with god one of the reasons that that picture is so important is because what it represents it represents what god has done in order for us to enter into the privilege of rest see Some of us today are are struggling. We're struggling against the righteousness that we can't attain. We're trying to work our way into God's favor. Some of us are trying to drown out those internal fears and those worries and those doubts by just impeding our mind with all sort of stuff, whether it's on a television screen or on a phone screen. We're just, we're just covering ourselves up with so much stuff and so much noise that we don't have to listen to the fears that are in our own hearts. Some of us are so exhausted spiritually, physically, emotionally, psychologically, we don't feel like there's any answer, any hope. I'm here to tell you, You may not be strong enough to carry the burdens that are on your plate. You may not be big enough to handle the stresses that you're carrying. But I want to tell you something. Jesus is big enough to carry all of those burdens. He's big enough to carry all of those weights, all of those stresses. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises that if we will put our trust in him, not only will he save us from our sins, but he will help us in our daily circumstances in life. Now, I'm not here to promise you that if you trust Jesus to be your savior, he's going to solve all your problems. The Bible never tells us that he'll do that. The Bible never tells us that he'll take away all your issues. In some cases, following Jesus may mean they get a little more difficult or a little more challenging. But I will promise you this. 
when we enter into a relationship with God and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, here's what he does promise. He promises we'll never go through anything that we're facing alone. Some of us just long for the presence of other people. I've got one son like that. There are times we'll be at, 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 at the house and he'll want somebody to walk through the back part of the house with him because the lights are off. He just wants the presence of someone else around him. I'm going to tell you something, folks. At some point in your life, you're going to be alone. There's going to be a time when nobody else is there. A mom or dad's not there. A husband or wife's not there. Son or daughter's not there. Friend, family member, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. They're not there. You're all by yourself. And you're there in your thoughts. You're there in your circumstances. You're there in your own mind. The Bible promises that if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, He will always be there and you'll never have to be alone. He'll walk with you through those circumstances. And let me tell you, that is a gift that is glorious. This past Wednesday night at our church, we had what we called a prayer and praise time. And I listened to the stories of church member after church member tell about what God had done in their lives this year in a very difficult, many very difficult situations. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of this, that if we will trust Jesus alone, God will give us the rest of his presence. The peace that he is going to be with us no matter what happens in our lives. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found. 